scripture reading this morning will be taken from Acts chapter 10, verses 24 through 29. Acts 10, 24 through 29. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection. As soon as I, as soon as I was sent for, I asked then, For what reason have you sent for me? The Great Commission, in one sense, is very simple. Jesus said, go make disciples of all the nations, Matthew 28, verse 19. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. So in one sense, the Great Commission is very simple. The gospel is for all. Everybody needs to hear the saving message of Jesus Christ. But in another sense... The Great Commission, when you stop and think about what it means that the gospel is for all, the Great Commission challenges everything about what we know and what we experience as human beings living in this world. This past week, we've been reading about the theme, the gospel is for all. We're going to talk about Jonah, the world's worst missionary this evening, Lord willing, because that's really what Jonah was. And yet Jonah's commission was to go and to preach to people that didn't think and act like him. He was supposed to preach to the Ninevites. But this morning I want us to talk about Cornelius. We read about him as well. And Peter the apostle was challenged by God to go and to preach to a Gentile. Somebody very different from him. You know, you'd think the apostles would have understood the great commission. I mean, it was given to them in the first place. Go preach to all nations. But did you know that for five or so years at least after the New Testament church was established that they weren't preaching to Gentiles? They weren't preaching to people that weren't Jewish or Samaritan people. Let's talk about that this morning. If you haven't already got your Bible open to Acts chapter 10, please do so. Our text will come from this particular passage. And what I want us to do just by way of introduction is to think about geographically what happens in Acts chapter 10. Geography is sometimes important in Bible study, where things are and where things happened. In Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8, the Bible introduces us to a man named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. He is a Gentile, but he also is very devout, the Bible says. He loves God. He loves the things of God. He gives alms generously. He prays continually. And so in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8, Cornelius is in a place called Caesarea. It's right there on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea in modern-day Israel, Caesarea. And as Cornelius is praying one day, an angel appears to him and says, Cornelius, I'm giving you an address. I want you to send for Peter. He's down in the city of Joppa, just south of here, and he's at at Simon the Tanner's house. I want you to go and find Peter, and he's going to preach a message to you. He's going to tell you the things that you must do, Acts 11, verse 14. And so, 
Peter, uh, excuse me, Cornelius sends some of his servants down the coast to Joppa. It's not a quick trip. It took a day or so. And so the Bible says then, when you get to Acts 10, verses 9 through 16, that the next day, Peter, who, by the way, is an apostle. Peter had been with Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. Peter had seen Jesus preach to Gentile people. He had seen him heal Gentile people. And so Peter, he's still a devout Jew, even though he's a Christian. He's an apostle, and he's praying, and he's very hungry, and he's waiting for supper to be prepared. And the Bible says that all of a sudden, Peter sees a vision, all kinds of unclean animals. And he hears a voice, and it says, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, Not so, Lord. And this happens three times. I'm not going to eat anything unclean. And the voice says, What God has cleansed do not call common. And just as this vision is finished, there's a knock at the door downstairs in Joppa. And it's the servants of Cornelius. And the Spirit says to Peter, Peter, you need to go with those men. I've sent them. I want you to go with them, and I want you to talk to Cornelius when you get to Caesarea. And so Peter invites the men, these Gentiles, to stay the night at Simon the Tanner's house, which was really strange. And then the next day, they all wake up, and they go back to Caesarea. And as you look at the rest of the passage, when Peter and Cornelius get together in the city of Caesarea, there's a marvelous exchange of ideas. Cornelius tells Peter what he's seen. An angel appeared to me and said, I should send for you. And so here I am. I want to hear what God says. And then Peter is on the other hand, he's very puzzled and he's saying, I don't know what this is. Somebody has told me, God has told me that I shouldn't call any man common and that I need to come and I've never preached to a Gentile before. This is different. I've never slept under a Gentile's roof before. This is strange. And so Peter's really having a hard time, and the Jews that are with him are really having a hard time with all this because they're supposed to preach the gospel to this Gentile, and they've got miracles to confirm that that's what they're supposed to be doing. But it's just really strange and uncomfortable and different. And so... As Peter begins to preach the gospel in Acts chapter 10, the Bible says the Holy Spirit confirms with a sign. He falls upon Cornelius and his household. They all begin to speak in tongues. And that's the final miracle, more about that in a moment, that convinces Peter and the others that they ought to baptize Cornelius. And so they do so. And then when you get to Acts chapter 11, now Peter goes down to Jerusalem. Look at Acts chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Geography is important. So Peter went up from Joppa to Caesarea and he preached to a Gentile and baptized that Gentile. And now that Gentile is being told that he's a brother in Christ. He's a Christian. Now Peter's got to go back to Jerusalem. That's where the church started in Acts 2. And they got a few questions for Peter when he gets to Jerusalem. Look at Acts chapter 11 verse 3. You went to some uncircumcised person and ate with him? Is that how you, uh, Peter, what are you doing? You've never done anything like this. This is so out of character for you, even though we know that you're prone to mistakes and all kinds of craziness. Peter, this is different. What are you doing? And so then Peter very carefully explains to his Jewish brethren in Jerusalem exactly why he went to talk to Cornelius, exactly what happened, and the miracles that confirmed that Cornelius and his household could be baptized. That's the story. Keep those locations in mind, but more importantly, keep in mind the lessons that we learn from this chapter. 
Three observations as we think about the fact that the gospel is for all. And this is relevant today every bit as much as it was 2,000 years ago. Number one, notice why Cornelius was different. Why Cornelius was different. As you look at Acts chapter 10, notice in verses 1 through 3 that Cornelius was from Rome. He had a national identity. He was Roman. He was a servant of the Roman government. He was a soldier in the Roman army, a centurion. So he'd been in the Roman army for a while, and he had attained some status. He was over a hundred men. That's what a centurion did. But Peter was not. Peter wasn't from Rome. His identity was that he was an Israelite. Peter grew up in the region of Galilee. Peter was a fisherman. Peter had really nothing in common at all from a national perspective with Cornelius. Why else was Cornelius different, though, as you read on in the passage? In verse 1, Cornelius was a Gentile, not a Jew. Ethnically, he was different. And look at what Peter says. When Peter finally gets to Cornelius' house, look at Acts 10, verse 28, and listen to the words of this apostle. Peter had already been told the gospel is for all. Preach the gospel to everybody. Everybody needs to hear the message. But listen to how Peter phrases what he's about to do. In Acts 10, verse 28, he says, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So Peter is saying to Cornelius, look, it's been obvious and evident as long as there have been Jews and Gentiles that we just don't get along. We don't mix. We don't, we don't have company with each other. You know it's unlawful for me to do what I'm about to do. But God has shown me something different. So ethnically, the fact that Cornelius is a Gentile and the fact that Peter is a Jew, that is significant. And then there's this, cultural identity. Peter, in verse 13, sees a vision of all kinds of unclean animals. Back in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, God had put certain animals off limits. So those of you who are seafood lovers, shrimp, nope, sorry, they're unclean. Those of you who are pork lovers, bacon and ham, nope, sorry, those are unclean. Many other animals also fit that description. But Cornelius, being a Gentile, didn't have problems eating shrimp, and he didn't have problems eating bacon. Peter did, though. And it was, just a, it was also a religious thing, but it was a cultural thing. This is just not how Jews cook their food. And so, and again, Acts 11, verse 3, one of the things that really scandalized the church back in Jerusalem was the fact that they had heard that Peter not only went to Caesarea, went to Cornelius' house, preached to Cornelius and baptized him, but notice what they're really about in verse 3. You ate with them. What'd you have for dinner, Peter, when you went to Cornelius' house? Did he serve ham? What did you eat? He's very culturally different from you. Why in the world would you do something that not only is culturally out of character, but is also something that the Old Testament told us we weren't supposed to be a part of? Why would you act that way, Peter? Here's where it becomes relevant. 
Brothers and sisters and friends, we're living in a day and a time when our nation has become tremendously diverse. Nationally, you just think about the church here at Katy. There's my brother Dario back there. Dario's Italian, right? My sister Mona back there. Mona's from Nigeria. Nationally, very different places. We've got people in our Hispanic congregation. You just think about that. Just because they all speak Spanish doesn't mean they're the same. They've got Venezuelan backgrounds. They've got Mexican backgrounds. They've got El Salvadorian backgrounds, Colombian, some from Ecuador, lots of different nations, the gospels for all. But not only that, within those national identities, we have ethnic identities. To which group, to which heritage do you belong? Who are your parents? That's what ethnicity is about. Who are your parents? And then culturally, a lot of different cultures, a lot of different customs, a lot of different backgrounds. And the early church struggled with this stuff. And guess what? The modern church is going to struggle with these exact same kinds of issues because the gospel is for all. And the fact that we're supposed to preach the gospel to all nations, to every creature, means that we're going to bump into some of these things from time to time. That's exactly what Peter had a problem with in Acts chapters 10 and 11. And by the way, just because they solved the problem in Acts 10 and 11 doesn't mean that the problem went away. When you read the rest of the New Testament, the early church struggled with this stuff for the rest of its biblical record. They were constantly having to struggle with how do the Jews relate to the Gentiles and what are the Jews going to make the Gentiles do? Are they going to have to be circumcised in order to become Christians? Those kinds of questions recur throughout the rest of the New Testament record. And it's insightful to look at how the Bible deals with them. So why was Cornelius different? He was different nationally, ethnically, culturally. Now, don't lose sight of this. God made some things very clear in Acts chapter 10, and you and I had better make sure we've got these things nailed down in our minds. Are you listening? God has spoken to these matters, and he's spoken very clearly to all of us. The gospel is for all. And I want you to observe three principles here. Number one, God did four miraculous signs to confirm that the gospel is for all. Four miraculous signs. What are they? There was an angel sent to Cornelius, verses 1 through 8. The angel walked into Cornelius' house and started talking to him, told him to go send for Peter. Miracle. Miraculous sign number two, a vision was sent to Peter. Peter, arise, kill, and eat. Not so, Lord. Three times. And then, by the way, there wasn't a great deal of explanation. Peter just saw the vision and he was puzzled. And so then... When the servants of Cornelius come and knock on Peter's door, the Spirit speaks directly to Peter and says, I want you to go down and I want you to talk to those Gentiles that are knocking on the door and I want you to go with them. Miracle number three. And then finally, when Peter gets to Caesarea and he starts talking to Cornelius, listen very carefully. Baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs upon Cornelius and his household. In verse 45, they begin to speak in tongues, which is exactly what happened to the apostles in Acts chapter 2. When God said the door is now open for Jews to become Christians in Acts chapter 2, the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. And now in Acts chapter 10, the door is opened, and that miracle was not to save Cornelius. Listen again. 
Holy Spirit baptism did not save Cornelius from his sins. He still needed to repent and to be baptized. What Holy Spirit baptism did was it confirmed to the Jews who were present that it was okay to baptize Cornelius. This is what God wants to happen. Four miraculous signs and all four miracles are in harmony with each other in Acts chapter 10. But notice this as well. It's not as if we're left to wonder what these signs mean because the Bible tells us in a number of passages. Acts 10, 28, what's Peter's conclusion? God has shown me, Peter says, that I'm not to call any person unclean or common. That's what these signs mean, Peter has deduced. You go on in Acts 10, verses 34 and 35. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality in every nation. Whoever wants to obey the gospel can now obey. Who fears him, God accepts. What do these signs mean? Acts 10, 43. Whoever believes on Jesus Christ can receive remission of sins. Listen to the heart of God, brothers and sisters and friends. God is saying the gospel is for all, regardless of what nation you come from, regardless of who you are ethnically, regardless of your culture and your background, the gospel is for all. This is God's will, and he made it clear abundantly so in Acts 10 and 11. In Acts 11, verse 18, when Paul or Peter had finished telling his Jerusalem brethren what happened, The Bible says that the Jews glorified God and they said, we can't contradict this, Peter. I mean, you're telling us God has granted Gentiles repentance that leads to life. They can be our brethren now. That's what those signs meant. That's what God was making clear. Now, before we leave this point, one more thing. Listen carefully. Why didn't the angel tell Cornelius that he needed to repent and be baptized? I mean, wouldn't that have been easier? Think about it. The angel was already there in Caesarea. I mean, Cornelius didn't have to go to any trouble, didn't have to send any servants down to Joppa, summon Peter, who, by the way, was reluctant to come, and then have Peter tell him what he needed to do to be saved. Why did God do that? Why didn't he just tell the angel to tell Cornelius what he needed to do to be saved? The answer is because, this is relevant for the modern church as well, God works through people who preach. And that's you and that's me. People who take the message of the gospel to others and they cross national and ethnic and cultural barriers in order to do so. That's how God does this work. He could have chosen any way he wanted, God could, to redeem people from other nations and other cultures and other ethnicities. God could have done anything he wanted. He could have let the angels preach. But God wants to use you and he wants to use me. And I'll tell you why. Are you listening? Listen very carefully. The reason why God wants to use you and me to do this is because you and me need some character development. We need some work on who we are on the inside. And learning to be sensitive to and to work with and to be kind to and to be appreciative of people from different nations is a skill and a character quality that will only be developed in us when we determine that we're going to do what Peter did and we're going to do what Cornelius did and we're going to get together and we're going to talk about the gospel and we're going to talk about how God has chosen to save all men through his son Jesus Christ 
And then we start to figure out how we relate together as brothers and sisters in Christ. So in Acts 10 verse 22, Cornelius has gathered his household and his friends and he says, we're all here and we're ready to hear what you have to say. Tell us what God wants us to do. In Acts 10 verse 33, to hear all that has commanded, been commanded by God. In Acts 11 verse 14, Cornelius was told by the angel that Peter would deliver to him a message by which he would be saved. God sends us into the world to preach his message because it doesn't just change the world, it changes us. God sends you to people who don't look like you because it's not just for saving them and it's not just for making them Christians. It's so that you will be saved and you will grow and you will become more like Jesus. Because didn't Jesus go to everybody? Wasn't he concerned about all men? Isn't God concerned that all people can hear his gospel and find salvation? God makes that abundantly clear, and we ignore that at our peril in Katy, Texas in 2020. Third, what did Cornelius become? Because, I mean, he heard a gospel sermon. He was already a good man, but he still needed to be saved. By the way, that's an important lesson as well. Just because somebody's moral and good and living a kind and generous life doesn't mean that they are saved. Cornelius was baptized, he and his household. And I want to talk for just a minute about what Cornelius became because this is really critical. Our society right now is obsessed with identity. We are obsessed with who we are. You know, you got on TV those, those um, DNA tests that you can order in the mail and you can prick your finger and put your blood on the mail and mail it off to some random clearinghouse and they'll, they'll send you back a, a data sheet and they'll tell you who you are, Right? Who am I? What's my heritage? Where did I come from? What national and ethnic and cultural roots do I have within myself? We're obsessed with this stuff in our culture. And, and we want to be loyal and true to who we are. And so because that's true, we're going to struggle with some things just like the first century church did. Our culture is going to struggle with some things just like the first century culture did. I want you to think about the biblical order of identity. Our culture is trying to put everybody in a box. Here's who you are. You fit in this box and this box and this box, and that makes you you. Think about this. Biblically speaking, identity is first individual. God relates to you and God relates to me first and foremost, primarily as a human being made in his image. Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. Regardless of what nation I come from, regardless of what culture I, I, I am a part of, regardless of what ethnicity I have, God relates to us first and foremost as individuals made in his image. And then secondly, as members of groups. And so you've got Cornelius, even though he's a Roman, even though he's a Gentile, even though he's a soldier, even though he's a male, you start putting him in all those boxes because that's, that's who he is. God still looks at Cornelius and says, I hear your prayers. They've come up before me as a memorial. And I want to give you some information so that you can know what you need to do to find salvation. That's the biblical order of identity. Now notice this. When we become Christians, we receive a new identity. 
In 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Bible says, in Christ we are a new creation. When you get into the water and you go down to the water for the remission of your sins and you rise up out of that water to walk in newness of life, God gives you a new identity, one that you didn't have before. God gave Cornelius a new identity, one that he didn't have before. You know what Cornelius was before he went down to that water? He was a Roman Gentile centurion. You know what he was when he came up out of that water? He had a new identity. He was a Christian. He was a brother in Christ. He was saved. He was a saint. He was a disciple. He was all those things. A new identity received at the point of his baptism. Who we are in Christ becomes foundational. Allow me to illustrate. When you look at Cornelius and you ask Cornelius, who are you? Cornelius might answer in a lot of ways, depending on where he was, depending on who he's talking to. Cornelius might say, well, I'm a Roman. I'm from the nation of Rome. He might say, I'm a soldier. I'm a centurion. That's my identity. That's who I am. He might say to Peter, I'm a Gentile. That's who I am. And you've got answers to those questions too. If I ask you, who are you? You're going to give me an answer to those questions. And here's the thing about our identity. It's kind of layered, okay? Some things, some aspects of our identity are more important than others. When I went to college at Texas A&M, you may or may not know this, but they kind of indoctrinate you into a new identity. They tell you that you are now an Aggie. And they tell you that being an Aggie is not something you ever stop being. They don't have former Aggies running around. They have former students running around because you're still an Aggie. And so what they're saying to you at Texas A&M is that your identity is supposed to, your identity as an Aggie is supposed to go way down, kind of a foundational type of thing. I'm an Aggie and that's who I am. And that's what dictates how I act and how I operate in the world. Those kinds of things. You wear the ring and you, you, you still talk about old times and things like that. That's what Aggies do. When you become a Christian, your Christian identity is supposed to go way down to the very, very bottom of who you are. What I mean by that is, thinking about Jonah. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 6, when Jonah was praying, he was in the belly of the fish. He was remembering what it was like to be in the fish's belly. And he said, I went down to the moorings of the mountains. In other words, that fish swam all the way down as low as possible. That's what Jonah's describing in Jonah 2, verse 6. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. And what the Bible is saying in Acts 10 and other passages is that my identity and your identity as a Christian, we are supposed to let that identity go down to the very, very bedrock of who we are. The fact that I am a Christian is more foundational to me than any other other aspect of my identity that's what that means it's foundational it's basic it is fundamental everything else I am rests on and is subservient to the fact that I'm a Christian Cornelius became a Christian and that identity went down to the very core of his soul and that's how he lived the rest of his life as far as we know what about Peter Peter was an Israelite. Peter was a fisherman before he became an apostle. Peter was a Jew, ethnically. What's the common denominator between Peter and Cornelius? 
How do these two very different men from very different parts of the world and very different backgrounds, how do they ever find common ground? I'll tell you, it's because Peter was also a Christian. And Peter had let the fact that he was a Christian go down to the very moorings of the mountains of his soul, the very basic lowest parts of his identity, his, his body, his, his, his conception of who he was. That's what Peter had done. And because that was true, Peter and Cornelius had fellowship. They were brothers in Christ. They were part of a family. This is amazing, brothers and sisters, because what God does with us is he takes somebody like me who grew up in East Texas, and he says, you can be a brother to Mona, my dear sister from Nigeria, or Archana, my dear sister from India. He says, you can be a brother and you have family relationships, even though you're from very different cultures and very different backgrounds and very different ethnicities. You are family because the basis of your identity is now the fact that you're a Christian. The gospel is for all. And our culture needs to hear the good news that when you become a Christian, you receive from God a new identity and that identity supersedes and overrides everything else about who you are. And you can relate to people who are also Christians and you can relate to people who are not Christians because of who you are deep down inside. And you can love those people and you can work with those people. And you can learn to become more like Christ. Now, two final thoughts. Thought number one. Sometimes we're tempted to say, and I've done this myself, and I was wrong to do it. Sometimes we're tempted to say, well, the fact that you're a Christian, the fact that you're a Christian means that none of this other stuff matters. Listen again to what I'm saying. The fact that you're a Christian now, and this is the deepest, darkest, rudest part of your identity, the fact that that's who you are now means that none of this other stuff matters. Yes, it does. When a Gentile became a Christian, there were some really difficult answers, questions that they had to grapple with. For example, when Cornelius is baptized, and by the way, he says that he, kept, he asked Peter to stay a few more days and teach him some more. So Peter, maybe Cornelius and his wife wake up the next morning and maybe she puts, you know, some ham in the, you know, on the stove or whatever. And, and Peter comes to breakfast and all of a sudden there's ham in front of Peter. How are we going to deal with this? I don't think Peter's ready to eat ham just yet. It's going to take some time for Peter to get used to this idea. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. So it's wrong for us to say that none of these other things matter. That's idea and concept number one. Idea and concept number two is this, though. Brothers and sisters and friends, listen carefully. These other things matter, but they can never become the primary thing in how we relate to one another. They can never become such a focus that we lose sight of the fact that we are brethren because we've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. So those foundational ideas that we're Christians and that's who we are, that's got to override and that's got to inform and that's got to instruct everything else that goes on. And by the way, this is why we have passages like Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 10 that deal with matters of judgment and questionable things. And this culture does one thing and this culture does another. And how am I supposed to relate to my brethren who are doing things different culturally than what is acceptable to me? 
you've got entire passages in the, Old, in the New Testament that deal with those things. It's because brethren are learning to work together because the gospel is for all. May it ever be said of God's people at Katy that we love everybody regardless of nationality or culture or ethnicity and that we want to live with and work with and be brethren with everyone because the gospel is for all. And this morning, good news, if you're not a Christian, heaven's invitation is extended to you because God wants more than anything for you to come to him and to be part of his family. And we want that too. If you're ready to respond to the New Testament gospel, the fact that Jesus has died for you and he wants you to accept him as the Lord of your life, to be baptized in water for the remission of sins, to participate in that new birth and receive that new identity that becomes foundational to everything else that makes you, you. If you're ready to do that this morning, there's no better time than the present. Won't you come while together we stand and while we sing? I hear the 